ಭದ್ರಂ ಕರ್ಣೇಭ್ಯಸೃಣುಯಾಮ ಭದ್ರಂ ಪಶ್ಯೇಮಾಕ್ಷಿಯಜತ್ರಿರೈರಂಗೈಸ್ತುಷ್ಟುವಾಗಂಸ್ತನೂ ವ್ಯಶೇಮ ದೇವಹಿತಯ್ಯದಾಯು ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿ ನ ಇಂದ್ರೋ ವೃದ್ಧಸ್ರವಾಸ್ತಿ ನ ಪೂಷಾ ವಿಶ್ವೇದ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀರ್ಣಸ್ತಾಕ್ಷರಿಷ್ಟನೇಮಿ ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿ ನೋ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿರ್ದಾಂತಿ may we hear with our ears what is auspicious may we see with our eyes what is auspicious while praying with steady limbs may we attain the life span allotted to us may indra bestow well-being on us may pushan the god of the earth who is all knowing bestow well-being on us may garuda the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also bestow well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we were studying the sixth mantra of the first chapter of the first part of mundaka upanishad where we find that the nature of the imperishable reality has been described in order to explain the higher knowledge as we have already seen that the rishi angirasa has already spoken of two types of knowledge paravidya aparavidya para is the higher transcendental and apara means all other secular knowledge the lower knowledge the vedas describe all the knowledge even the vedic knowledge from the knowledge which we get from the text of the vedas they are the lower knowledge only the knowledge which can take us to the realization of the core of our being the akshara what is that yaya tat aksharam adhigamyate as we studied in the fifth mantra the previous mantra that by which that akshara akshara the word akshara means akshara means that which is mutable akshara that which is immutable so in this creation nothing is immutable but the ultimate reality on which the entire creation is projected that is the one which is immutable so by knowing that to be the essence of our being we can go beyond the ignorance and the purpose of taking the human birth becomes fulfilled that alone is the purpose of human birth to realize the real nature any other creatures can be satisfied in the sensed plane of existence actually the nature has equipped them in a much better way to enjoy the sensed pleasures of life we can never enjoy a meal with all our technology and all our discoveries the way the senses are so uh sensitive the senses are so intense in the case of the animals the way they enjoy the meals the sense of smell the sense of hearing the sense of touch are far far more intense than the human being we with all our science and technology can never even imagine to have the sensory pleasures as intense as the animals so just to be enjoying the sensory pleasures of life cannot be the goal of human life the human being has the uniqueness as in the words of sri ramakrishna that humans are the only being who can think of god ekmatra manushi ishwar chinta korte paren in a very simple language he is saying it is this faculty to relate to the spiritual dimension of existence and not only relate to get established in it identified in it 
is the uniqueness of a human being. And unless we can realize the real nature, the essence of our being, our the purpose of the human birth in no way can be satisfied, cannot be fulfilled. So now the scripture uh, entails that how to know that higher knowledge. So we will find that in the last class we were uh, indicating in the sixth month it has been indicated that it the way we know the objects of the senses we cannot know the self in the same way. Why? Because yatta drishyam it cannot be seen a drishyam a grahyam that which cannot be grasped a gotram which is beyond any distinction as it has no attributes. It is the attributes which helps us to distinguish one thing from another. As it is beyond all such attributes, it is a gotram, a varnam. The, so the avarna means, uh, the, uh, the agotram means without any roots, that root actually speaks of all the attributes. So avarnam, there is without all the attributes. Achakshusrotram, no eyes, no ears, no hands. Apani padam. There is all this are the negation of all the attributes with which we know the objects of this uh, sensed world of this phenomenal existence. So the first sentence negates all uh, the attributes. There is no way through the senses I can perceive that. Then is it something which is non-existent? No. The second line now asserts by saying nityam. Though it is not perceptible, it is something which is there always with whom it manifests through all the objects, animate and inanimate, we see in the world. It is vibhu. Sarvagatam. It is all pervading. Susukshma. It is subtler than the subtlest. Tat avyayam. It is avyaya. There cannot, it is, is imperishable. There cannot be any change in it. Yat bhuta yonim, which is the bhuta yoni, the source of the entire creation. Bhuta, anything which takes birth is bhuta. The word bhuta came from this bhudhatu, to take birth is bhuta, the, the, anything which takes birth. In this creation, from the, and in a small micro, to the galaxy stars. Everything has a time of birth. It was non-existent. It came into existence. So everything is Bhuta. But the source of all the Bhuta is Bhuta Yoni. That's the thing which is imperishable that has been described. And it is not something which we cannot know. It can be realized. And the one who realizes he becomes equipoised. Nothing can disturb him. That's the last word, the paripashyanti dhira. One you can, once you go to that realization, the world with all its ignorance falls off. You become convinced as just the song which we are singing during the Arati. Gata shangshaya dhriranishchaya. All your sankshaya, doubts, falls off. Till it's a matter of your intellectual understanding. Anyone may create doubt in me with the help of their refined way of argument can create doubt in me. But when I have realized something, however refined the arguments may be, I won't go for it at all because I have seen it. If I have once seen the ocean, how can you just there be any doubt about the existence of ocean? To give a very common example, even today, the flat earth society exists. There are many, even quite some very learned persons are members of that society, flat earth society. So the earth is flat. And when the satellites were launched, from the space, when the pictures of earth is taken and you see it as a globe, now it becomes very difficult to be convinced of the fact 
that as long as we are on this earth, moving around in this earth, with refined arguments, even uh, means we can have the doubt. Once you go to the seminar of the flat earth society and hear now it you may feel that it's a bit funny but if you go to their uh, so-called the seminars you will find they do have some reasons to say that the earth is flat and you may be get you may get convinced but once you are just above this earth far far away from there you see that it's a globe it's just looking like a globe then there's no question there's no reasons will just uh, can hold true about the what you say the real structure the real shape of the earth there can be no doubt so realization alone can take us beyond all doubt gata samshaya dhrira nishchaya a strong conviction develops dhrira nishchaya so one who have developed that strong conviction about the immortality of the self then all this panorama all these changes life death everything is to this phenomenal existence the real me is beyond that nothing can affect that and that makes us dhira dhira is generally translated as the intelligent one the wise one but the literal meaning of dhira is the one who is calm so when you have realized you become wise and that wisdom naturally makes you calm so it is only the wise who can be equipoised because he is no more attached to this phenomenal existence he doesn't identify himself with the changes of this psychophysical existence he knows he is something beyond that so this is the mantra which is quite contemplative meditative which we were discussing in the last class so now today we will just after this short introduction of what we had discussed this recapitulation of what we had in the last class now we will proceed to the next mantra in the next mantra with the help of some very familiar illustrations the upanishad will try to explain that brahman is the ultimate source of entire creation that it is from that ultimate conscious principle that everything has emanated has been projected the general idea with our shallow understanding is that consciousness is a by product by the conglomeration of matter accidentally the life has evolved even uh, the old science even few decades back that was the notion in the present science there are certain sections of the science who have started doubting that it that really is it possible for the matter to conglomerate and accidentally to evolve the life to evolve from it so there are certain sections of science we have started saying that actually the consciousness alone is the phenomenon everything else is epiphenomenon these are the terms they use the previously the idea was the matter is the phenomenon matter and energy is phenomenon consciousness is epiphenomenon it has evolved from that but now even in science we will find that they have to accept the fact that consciousness is a fundamental principle it is the phenomenon from which the entire existence is an epiphenomenon so that's the assertion which we will find is in the next mantra with the help of some illustrations that will be elucidated so let us go to the next mantra it's a very uh, interesting mantra the seventh mantra of the first chapter of the first part of undakopanishad yathor nanabhi yatha urnanabhi yathor nanabhi srijate grinhate cha yatha prithivyam oshadhaya sambhavanti यथा सतह पुरुषात केशलोमानी तथा अक्षरात संभवती विश्वम हाउ दिस एग्जिस्टेंस केम इनटू एग्जिस्टेंस हाउ दिस एंटायर क्रिएशन केम इनटू एग्जिस्टेंस जस्ट द वे द स्पाइडर क्रिएट्स सृजते घृणते एंड एब्सॉर्ब्स 
its own cobwebs. You have seen the spider from itself, the cobwebs are coming out and it can again absorb the all the waves which are spread out. The entire creation in the similar fashion has came out from the ultimate conscious non-dual principle. So that's one example. We will come to the illustrations with, uh, to uh, discuss it more elaborately. First, let us have the literal meaning. So just as the spider spreads out its web, cobweb, and again, can absorb it. Yatha prithivyam oshadhaya sambhavanti. Just the way the herbs, the medicinal plants, oshadhaya. Actually, it indicates any plant, all saplings the way it grows from the earth. Yatha sataha purushat kesha lomani. Just the way the hairs grow from a living person. In the same way, the universe has been projected from that immortal. Aksharat sambhava tiha vishwam. That akshar, that immortal, ultimate existence. From that, everything has come out. It's what it speaks of? It speaks of the spontaneous nature of creation. Generally, what's the idea we have of creation? Suppose your, a potter is modeling the pot, creating the pot. So what are the two factors there? The potter is the, in the Sanskrit, they call nimitta karana efficient cause and the clay is the material so there are two distinct things required that you need a conscious being who has in his mind the idea that what he's going to make so he's the nimitta so he and after that that uh, after having that idea now he's using this clay to realize what he has imagined so, this is the two car. This, if there was the efficient cause, and there is the material cause. The efficient cause is the person, there's the nimitta, and the upada, the material. But here, by saying, by giving the example of a spider, it is actually what it is speaking that the ultimate reality is both the efficient cause as well as the upadhanakar, the material. The material cause as well as the efficient cause. It is not that, that the conscious principle requires something else to create this universe. It is he alone as that non-dual uh, entity was existing. That's why it is called non-dual. There is nothing apart from him. Then instead of saying one, why they say non-dual? Even in one, the idea of many is there. When you say one, from that immediately, the idea of many comes. Two, negate that idea of many, that it never becomes many. It is that one. The many which I see is not real. It's a projection. There's, if I, have, I could accept that many is real, then it speaks of parinama, transformation. The ultimate reality has transformed. That speaks of change, transformation then how can it be immutable? So it is immutable, there is no change in it. It is as it is. The entire universe is a projection out of it. It appears to be as universe. Actually, it is as it is. So both the Upadana and the Nimitta Karana is the ultimate reality. To indicate that it is giving the example of the spider. Just the way from the spider's body, the wave comes out, and it itself again absorbs it. The spider doesn't need any other external material, extraneous material to create his cobweb. Similarly, from that ultimate reality, the ultimate reality from Brahman, the creation has emanated. He doesn't need any other material to bring out this creation. It is from him the creation came out. Just the way Prithivyam Oshadhaya the medicinal plants, any plants which comes out from the earth. We may say that it is the seed from which the plant grows. But actually, is it the seed? A huge tree which has grown. 
Is it the seed from which that has grown? No. The seed is just like a gate. It allows the nutrients already in the soil to enter through it and assimilate in a particular way to create that plant. So that's why we say that this such and such plant is rich in such and such minerals. What from where that mineral came? The seed is such a small thing from where those minerals came, from all the nutrients came, from the soil. So it's the same soil which is transformed into the tree. So you don't need any, again, here also the same thing, any other material. The soil only is getting transformed into the tree. So the soil here is the nimitta karana as well as the upadana karana. So the same way, the purushat kesha loman, the way the hairs come out of your body. You don't need some external material. It is the same. I still remember when I heard this sloka for, uh, uh, for the first time. Uh, immediately I had a doubt. The question which uh, I still remember I placed in front in uh, just, uh, to my teacher is that how come we can say that the cobweb is coming out from the spider without in the help of any extraneous material. It is taking food, the nutrition, that some, something external after digesting that uh, again is helping it to create that cobweb. So how can you say the spider is creating? Similarly, the whatever food we take uh, that's assimilated and that in one form is coming out as the hairs. How can you say there is no extraneous material? So immediately the reply which was given is when the examples are given, the examples never are there to elucidate the fact. You cannot just say that this is the even this is the example for this, that everything in ditto, total, in just entirety has to be uh, what compared with that. Just the limited idea. Uh, of the example. That's why it is it is called upama. Upama means just a particular aspect of that example of that thing which I am which has been exemplified. A particular aspect has to be taken. Why that here it is not to explain the ultimate reality. We are taking the example of spider. We are taking the example of spider just because. To understand that anything can come out from its own body is very difficult from itself. So it is just to take in that limited sense, you take that idea, example is used in that sense. Now you may say that how is it possible that from this, the same thing, the entire creation has come out. Yes, if I think it just as a transformation, just the way the milk get converted into yogurt, then again, the question comes, can the yogurt again become milk? No, then it has transformed. Then you say the ultimate reality is not transformed. Then how come the creation has came out from that ultimate conscious principle? So here we find again and again, the Upanishad speaks of Adhyasa. Just the way when a rope is lying in the twilight hours because of lack of sufficient light, I see it as a snake. From where the snake came, the snake is not there really. It is the ignorance because of the lack of proper light. The rope is appearing as snake. How long the snake exists? As long as the ignorance is there. When someone brings the torch and focuses on it and says, see, it is a rope, then my ignorance falls off. So as long as the ignorance is there, this creation is there. Nothing has changed. Has the rope really changed? No. It's the same rope, which is appearing as snake. How long it appears? As long as the ignorance is there. So this is the idea with which we have to understand that how from that ultimate reality, everything has been projected. It is adhyasa. It is not parinam. So the first example that yathor nabhi srijate grinhatecha, it speaks of creation and dissolution. That from that ultimate reality, the creation has happened and into it, the dissolution is going to happen. Then the second example, Prithivyam Oshadhaya Sambhavanti. 
It speaks of once the creation has happened, it is the ultimate reality in which it is sustained. So these three, this creation, sustenance, and dissolution, this three has been exemplified with these two. So as in the Chandogya Upanishad, very nicely, the ultimate reality has been spoken of as Tajjalan. See, even the idea of acronym was there in the Upanishads, in the time of the Vedas. Tajjalan means, from that, Ja speaks of Jayate, everything came out. The, and then, ja, uh, this La Ja, ja speaks of ja, ja speaks of jayate, la speaks of liyate. Everything gets absorbed in it. And last is an. Means the word jalan is ja, la, and an. Tat, ja, la, an. Ja, jayate, la, liyate. An speaks of aniyate. Means that which is sustained. So that which is sustained. So from that, everything has been created. So in the Upanishad say Tajjalan Upasita, that you have to meditate on that from which everything has emanated, in which everything again dissolves, in which everything is sustained. So that's this thing which has been spoken of in the first line with the help of these two examples. Yathur Nanabhi Srijate Grinhatecha, that speaks of creation and dissolution. Yatha Prithivyam Oshadhaya Sambhavati, that speaks of the sustenance. And the next third example, what's the specific thing which it is exemplifying? Yatha sata purushat keshalomani. That from a so-called a conscious entity, something which is insentient, like hairs, it's coming out. So it's not only the sentient beings, which is the projection of that ultimate reality. Even the insentient things, the things, inanimate things, they're also the projection of that ultimate non-dual conscious principle. So this, this, after giving these three examples, it is saying tat aksharat sambhavatiha vishwam. The same way from that akshara, from that immutable, akshara means immutable, immortal being, sambhavatiha, this entire creation has been projected vishwam, this entire iha, this uh, creation which I can see Perceive with my five senses, all this universe, the galaxies, the stars, the earth, my own body, whatever I see, whatever I perceive, is the projection of that akshara, of that ultimate, immutable, immortal being. So this is the idea which we find with these three illustrations that we find is indicating what? The creation, sustenance, and dissolution for all the three happens from that absolute reality. And whatever I see, animate, inanimate, everything is a projection of that ultimate reality. So as we told, it is not a real transformation. The creation is not becoming or transformation. It is through its own, it is how it happens, we don't know. It is the inscrutable power. As Shankaracharya uses the word, achintya shakti, that we don't know. That's why we say the ultimate reality is larger than life. That with our limited intellect, it is never possible to comprehend that how it has happened. But it has happened. How do we, why do we know it has happened? Because when you're dreaming, it is impossible to know you're dreaming. When the dream breaks, then you know, oh, I was dreaming. I am the same person who was before the dream and the, the one who I am at present is the same person who, who was before the dream. Somehow the dream came and make me feel all those square things which was going through. I was horrified, terrified, scared. All the things were happening in the dream. And when the dream brings, and then, oh, it was a dream. It was not real. So how the dream came? Can we ever ask? We, when the dream breaks, we know the dream has broken. So similarly, this how the dream came, we never know, that is the ignorance. So how the perfect being has projected itself into this world where we find all these changes, all these mutations, how it has happened. Just the way I cannot ask 
when the dream started, why it started, how it started. Those questions we cannot answer. We can simply say we are ignorant about it. So here also we are ignorant. As we can again go back to that state, we know, of course, we have came from that, that ultimate reality. When the realization dawns in, we again get established in our real nature. We find the creation is a projection. It vanishes for the time being when I am in that realization. It falls off. It makes me established in that non-dual conscious principle, in that ekatattva. And from that I understand, oh, this is my real nature. How I was dreaming all these things for lives together, I don't know. So that has happened because of some inscrutable power of that absolute reality. So everything is appearing. So this, it appears as the universe of name and form. It actually has never happened. And that's why we say the word, use the word Maya. Many don't understand the word Maya. And from that, many this, the, those who are uh, staunchly believers of the dualistic philosophy, they call the Advaitins as Mayavadis without knowing the word, meaning of the word Maya. The meaning of the word Maya is Ma is used in the term sense of negation. Ya means yatha yatha. That when I am seeing anything, I think it is as it is. God has created the red flower. God has not created the red flower. He has created something which I can never know. It's the unknown interacts with the mind and senses to give the idea that it is red. So many times we have just explained that phenomenon. Even in science, we'll speak of the phenomenon. What's that? That when I we are all hallucinating in a controlled way, in the same way, as we are all hallucinating in the same way, we all vote it to be the reality. The rea- there is nothing called absolutely real, absolute reality. Means as far the phenomenal existence is concerned, it is a consensus reality. What is the consensus? We all consent that yes, it is red. Why? When the flower I see, how the perception happens, it has no color. Light has no color. It's only various wavelengths of light which are falling on the flower. All the wavelengths are absorbed. A particular wavelength is reflected. That reflected wavelength strikes your eyes. It has no color. And even that wavelength cannot enter your brain. Its work stops just when it touches your eyes. Its work stops. Now it gets converted into an optic current, an optic nervous impulse that is being carried to your brain. Brain is the organ of your mind, which is not the mind. The mind works through the brain. So in the brain, there's a color perception center. It is actually not perceiving. Where this optical nervous current reaches there, then the red color is emanated by the interaction of this encoded information. It's an encoded because the real light is not entering into your brain. It is completely dark. There's no light enters there. No sound enters there. It is completely dark. It is completely dumb. What is entering is only those encoded nervous impulses. And that nervous impulse, when it reaches the so-called various centers of the brain, all the light, color, sight is projected, which comes out and what you say that uh, engulfs, encapsulates the object and give us a feeling, oh, this is red. So now this is happening with all the perceptions. The world which I'm seeing is actually the projection of the mind and senses. Even the modern science will say you. It's a very, it doesn't need a very complicated uh, uh, thought process to understand that. It's a very simple thought process. So that's the, now you will understand the meaning of the word Maya. What a wonderful term was coined thousands of years back. That you think that this world as I see is as it is. It is a negation, ma is a negation of ya, yatha, yatha. It's not what you think as I'm seeing as it is. It's all a projection. It has happened because of the achintya shakti of that ultimate reality, which is projecting as universe. There is something. It's not imagination. That's why so many terms are there. When I say it is asatya, many will say, oh, this Vedanta speaks of subjective idealism. Means as if in my mind, I'm creating the universe, nothing is there. 
Never, Brahmananda never says that. Something is there. What it is there is unknown. I can never know it. It has to get. It has to interact with my mind and senses. And then mind and senses after that interaction is projecting this universe. So what I see is the projection of the mind and senses. I can never see the reality. What I see is the map of the reality. And why we create this map? Just not that even in the modern science, the wonderful language they're using. The, our brain, our senses are not meant to show us the reality. It is meant to be effective. In our day-to-day life, we have to be effective. Just that's, And there's the words you will find that what I am say, we are saying now in science, even thousand years back, Shankaracharya was saying the same thing. He said, there are two types of reality. One is Paramarthik Satya and as a Vyavaharik Satya. The same thing the science is saying, that what we see is not real. It is, then why we see it this way, why the mind makes us see, makes us see in this way? Just to make us effective, to have, to just work in this life as long as we are in this, uh, 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 what is a limited existence bounded by this ignorance. Just for the time being, to help us to be effective, those all projections are there. There's the maps are there. To give a very clear, very, very clear example, that what I mean, that what I see is not reality, is a map of reality, and that is for our Bhavaharika, for our day-to-day uh, working as a what you say kind of a working app, just to make us effective for our day-to-day life as long as we are in the ignorance. For the example, suppose I move out today in the, the uh, what is in the Melbourne city to find out the network of roads. And I come back, I draw the network of roads. And now what I do, you will find in all the these maps, road maps, what is there? Various colors are used for all the, uh, suppose this, the freeway, you use most probably the green color. For all the merging roads, you use most probably red color. For all the exits, you use blue. That's what the map you find, the various colors are there. So now, after drawing the map, if a child comes and sees it and thinks that the, he is going to really see this red color, green color, and blue color loads outside, will he ever find it? He'll never find it. For my own convenience, we have a horror that we'll find. Now just see the words are so specific. Shankaracharya, thousand years back, back, is using the word Vyavahara, Vyavaharika Satya. Just for our convenience, our senses are putting the color to create the map. The reality the, is what which cannot be known, which the scriptures are assuring is only one. That the ultimate reality is appearing as this universe of animate and inanimate objects. So, so this is the idea which has been spoken of in the seventh, this mantra, that from that non-dual reality, the entire creation has been projected without any transformation. It is as it is. It is Sat. What all attributes I think of is the Nama Rupa. That's the, they say that the, in essence, everything is the same. All this, what is the, what makes one thing different from other? Nama Rupa, the name and its form. Just there are so many golden ornaments. You may have bracelets, you may have earrings, uh, you may have a necklace. All are made of gold. What give, makes them different? Nama Rupa, their shape and their utility. What's the utility? Necklace has a particular utility. You wear it around the neck, the bracelets around the wrist or earrings. So they have particular specific utility. As per their shape, as per the utility, you give a particular name, but in essence, it is the same. So that's the idea which Vedanta is placing in front of us. That in essence, everything is that absolute reality. The moment I see a thing, all the attributes are the projection of the mind. They are not real. Remove the attributes. Then is nothing there? No, something is there which I can never know. That's something which I can never know. 
Here Vedanta is coming to say that is imperishable. And that is the same as you are. That is the same as anything. It's a projection of that same reality which is appearing so varied. Just the way the white light passing through this prism breaks into the spectrum of so many colors. We say seven colors, but actually it is infinite bands. Our sense perception allows us just to see that seven colors. There are spectrums beyond the violet, ultraviolet. There are spectrums even beyond the red, the infrared. So many spectrums are there. But our perception allows to see the seven. So that, uh, that it's only that white light which breaks into that infinite spectrum. Similarly, it is that absolute reality which is appearing as this, as this world of this manifold uh, spectrums, manifold objects of various Nama Rupa. So from that, the entire universe has emanated. Now we will understand that how that absolute reality is both the material as well as the efficient cause of the entire existence. Because it's a projection. When anything has to be transformed, then you need the limit to separate from the thing. When the clay is the material, I need someone else to work on it. But when it is a mere projection, then there is no need for some, uh, someone to transform something. It is just because of ignorance, his appearings are something else. So that's the idea after saying that. Now, the next mantra will be indicating the process of evolution, that how that absolute reality gradually has evolved from shukshma to sthula, from subtle evolutes to the gross evolutes to make this creation possible, to make this creation as something as perceptible, how it has happened. So it will speak of the various steps, the successive stages in the evolution of the universe. In each cycle, again, again, it's not that the creation is there once for all. It's in cycles. The idea of cycle is there. There's, uh, after the dissolution, again, the creation may happen, will happen. It's happening again and again. In every cycle of evolution, it follows certain stages. That will be described in the next mantra. So that the idea here is that all the things doesn't come into existence all at once. That as if someone had thrown that a, a handful of seeds or plants and just they are as they are. It evolves gradually from subtle to the gross universe which we see with all its uh, laws of cause and effect everything is the projection of that absolute reality so now again it will start with an allegory but then gradually it will speak of the successive evolutes tapasa chiyate brahma the eighth mantra of the first chapter of the first part of mundakapanishad 1.1.8 Tapasa Chiyate Brahma Tata Annam Abhijayate Tato Nam Abhijayate You have to break into Sandhi Tata Annam Abhijayate Annath Prano Mana Satyam Lokaha Karmasu Chamritam So Tapasa Chiyate Brahma It's a poetical expression that Brahman as if expands by means of austerity. We will come to the discussion again at what it actually means. Tapasa chiyate brahma. The Brahman as if expands by means of austerity. In the commentary, that example is that just the way when the seed sprouts, before it splits, it breaks up, it first as if it expands, it appears to have swelled. There's a, there's first the seed gets it's swollen and then it splits and the sapling comes up. Similarly, the Brahman has been expanded by austerity at first. What it indicates, we will come to the discussion. And from that, from that tapas, that as if the Brahman has expanded, from that, the primal matter, the primal matter for the entire existence that has been spoken of as annam. Anna speaks of food. The word Anna came from Adhatu, means that which is eaten. As the entire existence has to eat the prime. That's the way I eat some food 
and the food is assimilated into my body. That's what this, the, your body, your senses, everything is actually the transformation of the food. So all the transformations which I see is the transformation of the primal matter as if it has been eaten and then its permutation and combination speaks of the entire universe. So that primal matter is the annam that is produced. And from, from that, from the primal matter comes prana. Prana means first comes some conscious expression, some intelligence. The prana speaks of the intelligence, some living thing. So living thing with intelligence, we say that the next prana is, we find from prana comes mana, that a living entity is there, that living entity is not us. It speaks of the first evolute, the, all the idea of God in all the religions with attributes, God with attributes, that all the monistic religion, the Abrahamic religion speaks of God with attributes as the absolute reality. That God is something which has evolved from Brahman. So if beyond the God, God, this concept of Brahman is there. The, all, the idea of God in all the dualistic religion as the absolute reality is being transcended in the Upanishad by having the idea of that non-dual reality, which first appears as the primal matter, which appears as the prana, the a concept of Brahma, which has been spoken of as Hiranya Garbha. Hiranya Garbha means, these this words are so intelligent. Garbha means womb. Hiranya means that which is bright. Means the thing which is coming out from the womb is intelligence, is bright. It's not something matter. So that's why the first evolute is Hiranya Garbha, the Brahma. Sutratma, all these words are used for that. Sutratma means that which is as if inter which is within the entire creation, within the entire creation. Just the way the through thread goes through all the beads of a garland, all the pearl beads of a garland to make it as a gar as an intact a, a shape, a garland. All are stung together by the thread. Similarly, Brahma is been spoken of as a Sutratma. He is the one who has kept the creation intact. He's as if pervading the entire creation, just the way the thread pervades all the beads of the garland. He's pervading the entire creation. So he's called Brahma, the Hiranyagarbha, the Sutratma. So this is the prana, which has been spoken of in this sloka. From the prana comes the mana. Mana speaks of the cosmic mind, not our mind. So the God with the cosmic mind, in him, the entire universe is being created. So here we find, once you come to this prana, this concept of this God with attributes, this Saguna Brahma, this prana speaks of the Saguna Brahma. Here we find that we all have the same belief that the creation was something within the mind of the God. From prana, mana, that even in Bible we sign that there was only word, everything that from the God, the word emanated. What is word? Word speaks of concepts. To express any concept, you have to have word. And that word, after that, it the, finds expression as the word. Just to give an example, if you have a plan to construct a building, what will you do? The materials for the building will come much later. First, in my mind, I have to have an idea that what the building should be like, how many bedrooms will be there, how many... Uh, where the kitchen will be there, where the living room will be there, uh, what's the entire its structure will be there. I will have to form my mind. It has to be drawn in a paper. The blueprint has to be prepared. That's the first creation. Everything, everything is created twice. That, that's what in your thought, the first creation comes in your imagination. And then the real creation happens. So these concepts to just when you're thinking in your mind, what, what, how you think? You need some words, isn't it? With the help of words, you think. So that's the word, the concept was in the mind of God. From that, everything has been projected. So that's the mana. From the prana, from Brahma, this is the mind. 
then he found expression as the mind. From mind came satya. Here satya means not the truth, means element. Sat plus tat means all the gross as well as the subtle elements. Whatever we see in this universe is then immanent, is an evolute of God. That it is from God everything has came out. So now you will find all the dualistic religion uh, agrees to this fact. From the God it has emanated. But where it start, where the dualistic religion starts from that God with attributes, here we find the Upanishad is transcending that to start from that non-dual conscious principle, which is beyond all attributes, the Nirguna Satya. From where, because of tapas, this how it happens, we don't know. That's we have told that Achintya Shakti. This creation has emanated. From there, after, from after this, gross materials have came out, the satya. Then the this from that, the various worlds, the lokas. In uh, Vedanta, they speak of 14 lokas, the seven higher lokas and the seven lower lokas. All these lokas emanated, this Chaturdash loka came from this gross and subtle elements. And, and in all this loka, we will find that there, there certain actions results in certain result, and that is fixed. What type of action will result in what type of result that is fixed? So that's why karmasu amritam, all the works and its immortal fruits, that all emanated from that. So this is the idea of the evolute. The first, the idea of tapas, let us just tapasa chiyate brahma. What the tapas means? Tapas generally we translate as austerity. But there is, austerity can be mere physical. Here the physical austerity is not spoken of because in that intelligent principle, there is nothing physical. So it is not in that sense. There is the Shankaracharya's commentary, they use the word jnanamayang tapa. To think intensely is an austerity. So here it is used in that intense thought process. As we were saying that everything is created twice. Even in the science, there is a wonderful principle called anthropic principle, with which even we can understand that to have an idea that the creation has happened by accident, to believe that is very difficult. There is a plan behind the creation because accident is a singular event. You cannot have a sequence of accidents, that also infinite sequence of accident at last to result uh, in our existence. That today we are having the Mundakopanishad class. I am sitting here in the shrine and just we are discussing the scripture. This is as if planned at the very beginning of the creation. You may say, it's something, we are just extending your imagination uh, too much. But you just, now let us just resort to the facts. That we say there was a big bang. Let us take the, that, that this creation came out from a big bang. Now, very interesting, even in science, they will say that for the big bang, from the Big Bang to creation to happen. There may be various Big Bangs. From all the Big Bangs, there won't be any creation. Just to give an example, you are having some spray in your house to clean your furnitures. When you spray, what happens? The spray just immediately goes out. And the object on which you are spraying, it just spreads out there. Now you will find that, that the nozzle can be loosened a bit. If you loosen it and try to spray, instead of the liquid coming out as a spray, it will come out as a liquid, uh, just a, a globe of liquid, and it will just drop, it will fall. Why it doesn't have sufficient force to spray. It comes out as a, just a goblet and it falls as a liquid um, bubble. Why, am, why we are speaking this? That for the grab, there's for the Big Bang to create, the create needs a definite force. If the force with which this creation happened, if it was the Big Bang happened, if it was a bit more, just a bit more, they say if it was a bit more means one by 300 part of it or something like that. If it was just a bit more, creation wouldn't have been possible. Everything would have scattered out. The force of the bang would be so strong 
that when I am just something is when I throw something uh, on this earth surface, does it go to the space? No, the gravitational force again pulls it down. So to throw something, at, if you throw it just in the escape velocity, then what will happen? It will be moving around in the geostationary orbit. If, if, if it was more than the escape velocity, it will just move out. If it is less than escape velocity, it will come back. This is a common science says. See, if the Big Bang would have been a bit, bit better, greater force, everything would have spread out, galaxies wouldn't have formed, stars wouldn't have formed, creation would have been impossible. It would have just scattered out. If it was bitless, that also varies in fractional, in a very minute fractional uh, quantity if it was bitless. Not that, uh, uh, that the range is very big. What would have happened? Immediately a black hole would have formed. Once it, it, the Big Bang happens, whatever is scattered again will be pulled back because of that tremendous gravitation to form a black hole and the creation wouldn't have been possible. So it has happened just in that exact force where this creation is possible, that it is neither too great nor too less. Now you may say it is an accident, okay, and it has happened. But the interesting thing is now after the Big Bang, the matter to form matter, just what is the uh, uh, that uh, the unit of matter, say an atom. Each an atom that's simple with the simple science we know that there's a nucleus and the electrons are moving around it. That's what we have studied. That's very simple science. We just we need not go to the integracy, just to understand. Now the nucleus. In the nucleus, there are protons and the nucleus and the electrons are moving around it. A very interesting thing. We say like charges ripple. How come in the nucleus, which is so small, electrons take a lot of space to move around. In that so small space, all the protons which are rippling each other, all are staying there together. How come it is possible? So here again comes the concept of strong uh, nuclear force. Strong, that's when uh, you are at a very near distance, extremely near in that, uh, means in some minuscule uh, uh, that distance, it may be, uh, which we cannot even imagine. When in, in that near, then instead of rippling, they start attracting, they start staying together. There's a strong nuclear force. And when that you're just going beyond that distance, then that's the opposite then it will, this will be repelled and the opposite charges will be attracted. The electrons will be attracted. Now there has to be reached that, and that is the weak nuclear force. The, that when the distance is more, when the electrons are being attracted by the protons within the nucleus, it has to be at a certain distance. This, this is the, there are two types of nuclear force. The strong nuclear force by which all the protons are bound together is the strong nuclear force. And the weak nuclear force is the force by which the electrons are attracted by their protons. Now there has to be a ratio again there, a ratio between the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force to make, to make the atom possible, to the formation of atoms. You know that the God particles and everything they speak of, that's when you're trying to just create these subatomic particles, that constantly they are being emanated and again they merge because that ratio you cannot maintain. So again, it's an, another accident where that ratio has to be so proportionate that the formation of atom is possible. So first the Big Bang, that is an, an, one accident. After that, again, this accident. I'm just giving this two accident because this example, somehow we can relate even with our lay, the lay person's understanding. There are thousands of such examples where we find again this one after the after the another the accidents have been possible now let us forget of all those let us come to this earth now you will find they say that the earth is tilted in its this pole is tilted 23 and a half degrees this tilt if it is bitless if it is more perpendicular the sun rays will fall particularly on the they will fall perpendicularly on the earth's surface and the heat will be tremendous. Life is not possible. If this, the angle is a bit more, 
the sun rays will fall obliquely and this will be so cold life is not possible it's not much 23 and a half if it becomes 25 gone then uh, the life won't be possible if it's less than 20 life is not possible the earth's gravitation the earth's size is such its gravitation allows the oxygen and the other atmospheric gases in the proportion in which they are to be in the atmosphere that now we are thinking of uh, having uh, habitation in the mars the the mass of the planet you know the gravitational force should be such if it is too if the if the gravitation is too much even the heavier gases they they also will stay in the atmosphere and if it is too less oxygen cannot be it cannot stay it will be just dissipated only hydrogen and helium will be there you the no life is possible if it is too much other poisonous gas will be there life is not possible methane will be there in the atmosphere the earth's this field is such that life is possible now come to your own body that every moment we are alive is a miracle you know the amount of hormones enzymes are secreted if it is bit more bit less we are gone i will just give an example for a diabetic patient they have to inject insulin and for that they always keep some sugar blocks you know why that you have taken insulin but you have not taken sufficient food so your sugar will fall so low immediately you will find that you are feeling dizzy because the brain is the first organ which is affected because it doesn't store food whatever food it goes through the your blood uh, that nourishes the brain it is there is no question of storage so when there is a too much drop in the sugar immediately the brain gets affected you feel dizzy it may be cause death so those who take insulin are say, always have to take sufficient food now the question is if you are fasting for days together we find that sometimes some people will be doing hunger strike anashan for 20, 10 days for 20 days 30 days now the question there also the body they think they're not taking any food body is secreting insulin for them why they are not they means uh, to die out of hunger comes later first they should be unconscious and that brain death should happen but just see the body mechanism when i am not taking food there's a regulator insulin secretion reduces automatically it reduces it's a it's a such a part is wonderful that homeostasis the wonderful balance and that's why even the buddhists there says there's a meditation that we sometimes grumble that i have such disease i have such health problems uh, that life was not fair with me others have good health we should actually be uh, we should have gratitude that we are alive for each and every moment each and every moment is a miracle you take a breath in and you breathe out so many coincidences within the body has to happen in perfect measure to keep you alive just for one breath now so many accidents can so many accidents accidents happen just by mere chance one after the other in sequence that there's a big question so here comes the question of some plan blueprint some intelligence which is much larger than life which we can have an inkling of it and that's the idea which is speaking which is speaking of that other ultimate reality when it finds expression we will again go into discussion into of this mantra again in the next class to illustrate it in a far better way today the time won't permit that how the entire creation is emanating from that and before the creation happens everything is there as if in the mind of the saguna brahma from where the entire creation happens just the way we create everything twice the building was first in my mind then it finds a physical manifestation so the entire creation was in the saguna brahma's mind which has been emanated as the way we see it how it has happened though it has not happened in the real tangible way even it has though it has happened in what you say that as a projection but still it has followed certain sequences follows of sequences and how the sequence has been followed that this sloka it actually speaks of the vedantic way of discussing the process of evolution the process of creation so it's a quite interesting that way so that each and every religion has its own uh, 
way of understanding the creation. So here in the Mundaka Upanishad, this eighth mantra of the first chapter of the first part of this Mundaka Upanishad actually describes the process of creation as is being uh, described, as has been elucidated in Vedanta. So we will take a bit more time to go through it, the entire mantra. Uh, we will take it up again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.